What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Monday, October 3rd, 2022. And today, well, I guess we'll talk about the Cardinals game. It was technically a Cardinals loss, 7-5 to at the hands of the Pittsburgh Pirates, the final regular season home game of the year. But the outcome of that game was not the headline or the storyline that was most important today. What a scene it was at Bush Stadium. The final regular season home game at Bush for Yadier Molina, for Albert Pujols, and perhaps for Adam Wainwright. We'll see. We'll talk about how the fans got to show their appreciation for Yadi and Albert and Wayno as well. We'll talk about the pregame ceremony. How cool was that? If you were at Bush or if you saw it on television, Cardinals did a great job of honoring both Yachty and Albert. And we'll talk about Wayno's involvement in that as well. Kind of a tricky situation, right? Because Adam Wainwright has not announced his retirement, but you could see maybe the light at the end of the tunnel for his career. And Cardinals fans would like a chance to show their appreciation for Wayno as well, even if it's not officially his final year, because if Come November, he decides that it was, then, you know, you missed your chance. And so Cardinals fans didn't want to let that be the case. And so I'll talk about how I thought there was a nice touch by Cardinals fans at one point today during the ceremonies to show their love and appreciation for Wayno, too. Talk about the start that he had, you know, now now that we're getting over some of the, the sentimental. It was a very sentimental day, obviously, but beyond that, we're talking about the postseason now. That's really the next target on the calendar Starts on Friday at Bush Stadium. We're just a handful of days away at this point. And we're going to be buckling down on what it looks like for the Cardinals and how that matchup is going to go. It's on us pretty soon. So who are the Cardinals going to face? That's the first question. How they match up with that mystery team is the next one. I think we have a little more clarity right now than we did a couple of days ago when we last spoke. So we'll talk about how the Changes in the standings have maybe impacted what our expectations are for the weekend and beyond. Talk about the NL postseason bracket, the playoff picture as it stands right now, and have a little more conversation about what that starting rotation could look like because, well, we wondered this weekend whether the outings by the starters we would see, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Montgomery, and Adam Wainwright, could have some impact on the decisions the Cardinals would make in terms of who to go to, and when, when they get into postseason baseball. So all that and more coming up on this edition of B-Shape Daily. But want to remind you guys real quick, we'd love to have you subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to make sure you never miss an episode of B-Shape Daily as the march toward October. Well, it is October now, so we've marched and here we are. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode as we talk about everything Cardinals baseball related through the end of the season and beyond. Because Hot Stove will then follow the regular season, the postseason, get into the trade market, the free agency, everything until we get into spring training. So it's really year-round coverage here on B-Shape Daily of Cardinals Baseball. We'll also have other sports that we'll talk about, general podcasts in the offseason for baseball, but primarily B-Shape Daily, Cardinals show. So make sure you subscribe and you're locked and loaded for every episode as they drop. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a great way to do it at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash for 12 That's the place to go. It's a new month now, so you'll get some good bang for your buck. 
Check it out. $5 a month is the uh, basic subscription level to show your support for B-Shafe Daily on a monthly basis. So check it out once more, patreon.com slash bshafer12. Thank you guys for joining me once again tonight. Let's go ahead and dive into the content of the show today where we're talking about the 7-5 to win for the Pirates over the Cardinals, sure. But I want to focus more of our energy on some of the sights and sounds and scenes from today at the ballpark. It was really cool to see Cardinals fans show out the way they did, and there was no doubt that they would for the retiring legends of the team, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, a wonderful pregame ceremony on the field. It was funny. The, the ceremony was scheduled to begin around 1230 so that they could get it in in time before the first pitch scheduled at 115. Yeah, that was never going to happen, right? This game was never in a million years starting on time. I think it finally got underway around 140. 141 or two, so like a 26-minute delay compared to the scheduled game time. Yeah, what are you gonna do? There's chairs on the field. Sorry, Pirates, but we gotta we gotta clean those up before before we can play baseball. I think you know it. It's one of those things where you're gonna lose 100 games more than likely unless the Cardinals are swept the remainder of the regular season in Pittsburgh. The Pirates are a hundred loss team. Cardinals have two guys that have been woven into the fabric of this city for. Better part of two decades, maybe longer in Albert's case. Came up in 2001. And sure, he's been gone for a while, but he's back now and he's our guy. And so St. Louis wanted their chance to honor him. And well, Pirates, you just got to kind of sit through it. That's the way it is. And uh, I guess they were gracious about it, beating the Cardinals 7-5 to when the game finally did begin. Adam Wainwright, here's what was interesting about the ceremony. He had all the major players, and by players I mean all the big big guns, right, were there on the field. Bill DeWitt, Bill DeWitt the third, John Mozalock. You had the red some of the red jacket guys that were teammates of Albert and Yachty, like Ray Lankford, Jason Isringhausen, Matt Holliday on the field got a huge ovation. Cardinals Hall of Famers were in the red jackets, seated down on the field. You had the families of the guys. Yachty's mom was there, really touching moment as Yachty said, I, I want to speak in Spanish directly to my mother here. And for a, a couple of minutes, he he did exactly that and, and thanked her for the sacrifices made to allow Yachty to do what he did with his baseball career and to be able to to pursue this dream and, and really touching moment. Yachty got, you know, you could see him choking up a little bit. Yachty got emotional about it and understandably so. This was a special moment for him. Special moment for Albert, you know, a moment that Albert probably thought maybe he wouldn't ever really get on this level prior to, you know, 12 months ago. This was this had to have been something of a pipe dream for Albert Pujols, but we've talked a lot about how it just, the, the stars aligned and the storybook ending came together. The opportunity for Albert to be back in St. Louis, it, it came to be, and not only did it come, but he ended up doing quite a lot with it, getting to 700 home runs, doing it as a Cardinal, having the retirement tour as a Cardinal. And in some ways, it felt like he never even left. Obviously, there were wounds from his departure after 2011, and it kind of is what it is. I feel like the last six months have gone so far to repair any wounds that were there. I mean, he he, there, it's it's again, it was great for Albert to get this opportunity, great for the city of St. Louis to have Albert get this opportunity. This is the way that it was supposed to end, and I it, it almost just feels too good to be true that it's happened the way that it has. 
and for him to be so successful in the season as well has just been a really special aspect of that. And we'll talk, by the way, uh, about more history that Albert made on Sunday. Who could be surprised that he would have gone out in style in his final regular season home game at Bush Stadium for his career? But that's Albert for you. He he had a parting gift, so to speak. The Cardinals had gifts for him and Yachty, though, as well. Classic retirement gift, one of the gifts, and there were, there were several gifts, but the, uh, the, the brand new golf clubs and golf bag and I believe they set a gift certificate to get those fitted. So the fitted golf clubs for both guys, Albert and Yachty. It's kind of funny too, because I believe the Dodgers gave them golf, like customized golf bags, but the Cardinals were like, ah, we're, we're giving them golf bags. So they're not going to use, they're not going to use yours. So that was part of the, 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 uh, the ceremony and the gifts that, that both guys were given today. Guys on the field though, in addition to the folks that I named, mentioned the families, mentioned some of the heavy hitters of the organization, Cardinal Hall of Famers, Red Jacket guys. Uh, they also had Adam Wainwright on the field as well. And this was a little bit unusual because he was the day starter. He started the game on Sunday. And normally when you think about Major League pitchers, and if you know kind of the the inside baseball world of how that goes for that day's starter, when you're starting on a given day, Nobody really talks to you leading up to the game. Nobody really bothers you. People just kind of let you do your thing. You don't do interviews. You don't, you know, clubhouse is open for about an hour, hour and a half, whatever the case might be in the morning on a Sunday. And and if it's a a Wednesday or, you know, if it's a night game, clubhouse might be open from 3.30 to 4.30 or something like that. Players might be in there milling about. Guys might be getting their work in, whatever the case might be. Media has access, but you don't talk to that day's starting pitcher, not until the end of the day, the end of the outing. That's the way that it goes. It's a very, you know, time-honored tradition. And Wainwright is a guy that, you know, for the majority of his career, adhered to all of that. He's regimented in that. But we've seen him sort of let his guard down a little bit this year, and he's talked about the, the old man walks that he takes, he calls them. Day after he pitches old man walks around the ballparks, if they're on the road, He's done it at Bush. He's hidden signed baseballs around Bush Stadium on the concourse for fans to find and has been active on social media about it. He got to do the inning with Bob Euchre in Milwaukee, doing the, the the broadcast with him, something that he was, you know, he asked Bob Euchre, and Euchre was like, of course, yeah, we'd love to have you. And so Wainwright's been enjoying this this season as though it's his final year, right? Has not said that specifically. Maybe it's, you know, people have said, well, I think he already knows he wants to to hang him up, but he doesn't want to take the attention off of Albert and Yachty. I mean, maybe, but I, in reality, Wainwright would deserve just as much attention as those guys. He's been around nearly as long and has been just as impactful on, you know, not a position player side, but as a pitcher has been a, a huge part of what the Cardinals have done over the last 15, 17, 18 years, however long it's been. So I don't think it's a case of, you know, he says, oh, I just don't want to. No, I think really he just probably has gone back and forth on it. It's hard to admit when it's when it's over, even if you kind of have an inkling that it's going to be over. He seemed to talk at the end of last year that it was probably one more year. You know, talked about how his family has been bugging him that they want to get a dog, a pet, and that's not something that was in the cards for the Wainwrights until dad retires. That was sort of the, the narrative going around about that that he shared, so... Everything pointed to, and still probably points to, maybe this being Wayno's last year, 
But what's interesting about this ceremony today is he took it a, a complete step further than you'd think of, yeah, don't bother the pitcher on the day they start, but, I mean, it's it's Wainwright. It's his last season probably, maybe, who knows, and he's sort of letting his guard down, so maybe he'd be willing to do some different things. Like when he did the interview with Sunday Night Baseball a few weeks ago and had the microphone on while he was warming up and was kind of chatting chatting it up on the broadcast, things like that, you go, wow, that's that might take him out of his element. That's a little bit different. I'm surprised he'd do that. Today was one where really I like it it would have seemed wrong without him out there, but it should be noted like how different that is for what a, a starting pitcher's regimen usually is on the day he pitches. But Adam Wainwright was out there on the field, part of the ceremony, and he even spoke. He got up to the microphone and said some nice words about both of his longtime teammates, Yachty and Albert. And that was on the day that he was due to pitch, and he even made reference to it and said, I'm sure the Pirates are in their dugout right now, tired of hearing me talk about this, and they're they're champing at the bit to get seven or eight home runs against me today. And so sort of making reference to the fact that, again, if you're the Pirates, that has to be just kind of a weird, awkward situation. Maybe not, though. Maybe those younger players, a lot of younger players in the Pirates organization on their club, maybe they appreciated the opportunity to to get to witness the the adoration for two players that had been with an organization or, or meant so much to a city for so long. Maybe they thought it was cool. I don't know. We'll talk about Wainwright's start, though, and, and Though they didn't hit seven or eight home runs off of him, they still got to him pretty good. And we'll talk about what that means for uh, the postseason after we wrap up this conversation about sort of the day at large. But I just thought that was interesting. Something I wanted to mention is is Wainwright's, really his commitment to both Albert and Yachty. And he could have pre-recorded it. He could have done any number of things that wouldn't have involved him kind of getting out of his focus on the day he pitches. But he felt it was important to be there and be in person and be able to deliver the remarks that he wanted to do so for both those guys. And of Yachty, he said, it's his catch partner. He said, I'll miss you the most. I'm going to miss you the most is what he said about Yachty. And it was a very sweet moment. And of, of Albert, he said, he's the best hitter he's ever been around. Best hitter anybody in this organization's ever been around. If, you're, if you've been around for the last 15, 20 years, whatever, Albert is the guy. He's the one that's that's been better than everybody else. And uh, just really, really cool part of the ceremony to have Wainwright involved there. And uh, sure, I mean, if you if you doubted anything about what Wainwright said regarding Albert being best hitter any of these guys have ever seen or been around, I mean, just stick around for the game. Because uh, in the third inning, Albert did what he does. In his final at-bat, final regular season at-bat of his Bush Stadium career, Albert Pujols, Goes yard to center field. A home run, dead straightaway center. Two freezes lawn. What a moment that was at Bush Stadium. Didn't even realize it in the moment that that would be his final at bat. We'll talk about how that played out a couple of innings later. But just absolutely insane, the energy in that ballpark. For Albert to go yard in that moment, he got the curtain call. I mean, truly storybook. I understand there's still playoff baseball ahead, and so it won't be his final at bat technically in Bush Stadium. But uh, by the record books, by what they go by with regular season statistics. It, it will have been, and it goes as a home run. Just couldn't script it any better. D- deepest part of the ballpark as well. I mean, maybe not quite the deepest, but 
dead straightaway center is not an easy part to homer to. I don't know if there's anywhere deeper. It's it's difficult to hit one out to right center, but just in terms of pure distance, one's at 402 to center. He got it just enough, landed on the lower part of the lawn there and probably rolled down toward the, the base of the wall. Albert, number 23 on the year, number 702 on his career. And because of the ground rule double for two RBIs that he hit in the first inning, that solo home run got him up to 2,214 RBIs for his career. 2,214 tying Babe Ruth, perhaps you've heard of him, for second all-time on the MLB RBI list. Number two in history. With one more, he'll be in second place alone. will surpass Babe Ruth. So, yeah, I would say that's probably a guy who's in consideration for the best hitter any of us have ever been around or any of us have ever seen. Amazing stuff from Albert. He just continued to do it, I'd say, all year long. He really continued to do it all second half ever since that All-Star game. But the numbers are inarguable for what he did for the season, and I know there's still a few games left. But just incredible what Albert Pujols has been able to do. 887 OPS. I mean, if he socks a couple dingers in Pittsburgh at PNC, which Ollie was asked, Ollie Marmel was asked, is is Albert going to have a chance to pass that Babe Ruth record? Like, is he going to play this weekend? Ollie said, oh, he'll have a chance. So he's going to play. He may not play all three games, but he's going to play. I would love to see him get to 900 OPS. He's at 887 right now after a two-for-two day, double and a homer, three RBIs. Ho-hum. Scored two runs, by the way. Yadier Molina got involved on the action. Sacrifice fly. Sacrifice himself for his buddy. How nice is that? Sack fly in the first inning was part of a three-run Cardinals first in conjunction with the two-run double by Albert. Like, of course, these guys would both show out and make it happen on their special day where they're being honored. Uh, Mayor Tashara Jones, by the way, I, I forgot to mention this. They They gave him a day. Yachty's day is going to be October 4th, so that's coming up on Tuesday. October 4th, 2022, matching his uniform number, is officially Yadier Molina Day in St. Louis. October 5th, 2022 will officially be, you guessed it, Albert Pujols Day in St. Louis. Got the mayor involved. I mean, that's that's the, the kind of uh, respect these guys command, so you got to love it. It was really cool to see the pregame ceremony. It was cool to see both guys perform in the game. And in the middle of the fifth inning, Adam Wainwright getting into a little bit of trouble. We'll talk about his performance here momentarily because that one does have some bearing on what the Cardinals are going to look to do in the postseason, I'd have to imagine. It's going to be interesting to see how they they handle it. We'll talk about it here. But to mention the way it ended for all three guys today, middle of the fifth inning, uh, Ollie Marmel comes out. Mound visit, whole infield's on the mound. And... I wasn't really realizing it until I saw Ollie sort of pat Albert on the back, give him a little side hug, goes to his left, gives Yachty a little side hug, and I go, oh, these guys are leaving the game. This is about to happen right now. Get your phones out, folks. And it does. Albert, Yachty, they walk ahead of Wayno, and the three of them depart the game together at the same time in the fifth inning. Yepes comes in for a replacement at first base. Kisner goes to catch, and they bring in a reliever out of the bullpen for Wayno. And uh, Wainwright, just like he always does, he wants his guys to lead him onto the field, and he's going to sprint to the mound when he gets out there. And then when he leaves the game, he wants those guys in front of him. So Albert, Yachty, they end up 
walking down those dugout steps just moments before Wainwright does. And that was a cool moment. I tweeted out a video of that, what I was able to get of it at bshafer12 on Twitter. Lots of good stuff on social media today from the ballpark. Just really cool to see. All right, but let's get into it. Let's talk about the outing from Wainwright because now we have to sort of shift our attention to, okay, what's the strategy going to be here in this playoff series? And we'll talk about, let's do this first. We'll talk about the current standings, give you an idea of the likelihood for who the Cardinals are going to face. And as of right now, it does look to be the Phillies. After what has happened over the weekend, Philadelphia had a chance, lucky for them, to play the Nationals, and they were able to sweep that series in four games over three days. Friday, doubleheader Saturday, and then again on Sunday. Four straight wins for Philadelphia in that series. Gets them to 86-73. and 73. The Brewers, you figure, well, they've got a chance too. They're playing the Marlins. Yeah, didn't go their way. Did not go their way. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. The Brewers only take one game of the four. Miami takes three out of four. And that puts Milwaukee at 84 and 75. A full two games behind of the Phillies with three to play. And I do believe with the season series, the Phillies have that tiebreaker over Milwaukee. So basically the magic number is one. If the Brewers don't win out and the Phillies lose out, then that's it. It's it's going to be Philadelphia. The Brewers will be out of the postseason, which should not be any surprise to folks who have seen them play recently. They just haven't had the, they've not had that extra mustard to their game. It has not been crisp. It has not been impressive on the offensive end. They just haven't been able to get it done. So the Brewers probably on the outside looking in. However, should be noted that the Padres didn't have a great weekend either. Padres playing the White Sox lost two out of three over the weekend, and they're at 87 and 72, a game ahead of the Phillies. Padres finish with the Giants for the next three days. The Phillies, not going to be easy for them. They go to Houston to play the Astros. But again, the Astros have long since clinched. And so they might be sort of in uh, just rest them up mode. They'll get the starters in because it is probably their you know final home series of the season. So the Astros will want to parade their guys around like the Cardinals did a little bit today. That being said, the Phillies are in position potentially against an Astros team that doesn't have anything left to play for until next week. In position to catch the San Diego Padres for that five seed if they're so inclined. I don't know necessarily why you would be. Like, this is not a intended to disparage the Cardinals, but who would you rather play in a first-round series, the Cardinals or the Mets? Because that's basically the choice here with the Mets falling out of the race in the NL East. The Braves, 100 wins to 59 losses. The Mets, 98-61. and 61. Atlanta swept the Mets over the weekend. Three straight wins puts Atlanta two clear of New York in the division. Atlanta won the season series. Their magic number is one. So one Braves win or one Mets loss the rest of the way. That locks Atlanta into the number two seed. They will get the bye to the NLDS. And that'll be the team that the Cardinals will face if they get there. If they can get out of this wild card series next weekend at Bush, it'll be Atlanta. Barring something insane happening over the final weekend of the regular season. Again, Braves would have to lose... Every game, the Mets would have to win every game. Otherwise, 
Atlanta will be that two seed. So that means the Mets are going to be the four because the Cardinals are locked into the three. The Mets, the four seed, and they will host either the Phillies or the Padres. The Cardinals will host the other team, whichever finishes lower in record. I just think it's a benefit at this point to be the six seed compared to the five because the Mets are a tougher team. They won 98 games. The Cardinals have won 92. I think the Mets have better pitching. I think the Mets, uh, the Cardinals might have a better lineup, but the lineup isn't performing all that great recently. Cardinals do have a better record. Well, it's actually very close. The Cardinals are 53 and 28 at home. The Mets are 51 and 27 at home. So it's percentage points and easily could be a, a tie ball game by the end of the season. The Mets still have three home games left to play. If they go two and one over the weekend at home, they will finish with the same home record as the Cardinals. So, Either way, you're going to a tough place to play if you're the Phillies or the, the Padres. But I'm just looking at that second round. Not to say the Braves aren't going to be a really tough out, but the Dodgers, they did win 110 games, and they've got three left. So that's interesting. Like, if I'm the Phillies, I got to get that one win to guarantee that I surpass the Brewers and I hold them off. But after that, man, I'm throwing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'd rather I'd rather face the Cardinals, I think, than the Mets. Like, would you rather go Cardinals, Braves, like that's your path, or would your path prefer to be Mets, Dodgers? I would say Cardinals, Braves. But no matter what, it's not going to be easy, and all these teams are aware of that. But that's that's the little breakdown of what it looks like in the in the picture because it is possible that the Cardinals will end up playing the Phillies. Not only is it possible, it looks likely at this point. The Brewers are almost mathematically out of it. It is crazy that that has uh, that that has been where where things have gotten to. But you know what? You play really bad and you forget to hit for the last month of the season, or whatever the case was. Uh, that's sort of that's sort of the way it goes, right? What I'm trying to look at now is I'm curious what the tiebreaker would be between the Padres and the Phillies. They played in May. San Diego took two out of three. And then they played in June, and the Phillies took three out of four. So that would mean the Phillies actually have the tiebreaker. So, yeah, if those teams end up tied, the Cardinals will end up be they'll, they'll play San Diego. That's something we need to maybe talk a little bit more about. And I don't even know if that's necessarily the worst thing. Like, the Padres are locked into a battle where they need to be winning every game. They've only won four of their last ten. Granted, they've played the the White Sox, who underachieved all year but are talented. They just lost that series. Prior to that, they played the Dodgers, and they they beat them two out of three. Prior to that, the Rockies, two out of three. And obviously that series against the Cardinals, they beat St. Louis. I don't know. It's interesting that this started out a few days ago. We were wondering, Phillies or Brewers, who would you rather face? Now it's a whole different conversation. It's Padres or Phillies. Again, Padres get the Giants. Phillies get the Astros. From what I understand, Phillies got four out of seven during the season. So if the Phillies go two of three and the Padres go one of three, the Cardinals are playing San Diego on Friday. If the Phillies finish one better over the Padres this weekend, that's the tiebreaker. Phillies the five seed, and they'll they'll face the Mets which I don't think Phillies would even want. So that's what I'm saying. If I'm Philly, I win this first game and I throw the next two and I I match up instead with the Cardinals. 
Philly's the third best team in that NL East. I don't think they want to have to go through the Mets and then the Dodgers. I just don't think that's going to be the case. But anyway, let's go ahead and assume that it is Cardinals-Phillies because right now that's where it stands. We've talked about how the Phillies are much better against left-handed pitching throughout the season. They're still pretty decent against right-handed pitching as well, but it's not like that disparity that the Brewers had where they cannot hit lefties and they're very good top 10 against righties. It's a little bit more balanced for Philadelphia, but they definitely prefer as a lineup to hit lefties, which is interesting because two of their most high-profile players, Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, both left-handed hitters. But nevertheless, as a lineup, those the numbers are what they are for the season. But that sort of tells me that like you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you damned if you don't. It's a tough situation if you face the Phillies with a left-handed pitcher because they, as a lineup, are very good against them. But if you're a righty, you just know you have to watch out for Schwarber and Harper every time you go through the lineup. Every time you come around to their part, it's like a murderer's row almost as a right-handed pitcher. So it's kind of an interesting disparity. And I'll be curious to see how the Cardinals handle it if they do end up having to handle it. As for the Padres, because I, again, I hadn't even really considered it very closely, but now that it's right here in front of me, it looks relatively plausible. San Diego, 705 OPS against lefties this season. That is 18th best in major leagues, so not great. They're in the bottom half there. I have a feeling, though, yeah, and it's true. Against righties, it's the same. 697, 18th best. So we talked about how of the playoff teams, that lineup is not as strong as the others. That's the only lineup of the NL playoff teams that is outside like the top 12 in baseball in terms of OPS. And you you kind of wonder how did they how do they do that and yet still have the the standing that they do. Well, they've got really good pitching, very deep pitching guys like Sean Manaya who would probably be like the number three on the Cardinals in their rotation. He's been pitching out of the bullpen recently. You know, Blake Snell is back. They've got a very deep rotation, a lot of talent. And that's a scary thing in a playoff series, especially a short series where they can throw arms at you and there are no rules. Like their starters, guys who are usually reserved as their number four starter or whatever, he can throw three innings in the fourth through the sixth of game two just because he can. You know, it's all hands on deck. So I wouldn't be super worried about the the lineup of San Diego apart from Soto and Machado. Beyond those two guys, they're the Padres are gettable in their lineup, but the pitching is something that you that you definitely would have to to reckon with. And they have Josh Hader, and I know he hasn't had the greatest second half. He sort of turned it around recently after the the high profile hiccups that he had upon landing in San Diego. But the Cardinals do not want to face that guy in a three game series. So for me. If that's a conversation, Padres or Phillies, I, yeah, you'd rather see him face the Phillies, in my opinion. But you let me know what you think on that, at for 12 on Twitter. But when we were talking about, okay, if it's the Phillies and you've got righties that you generally want to get in there, what do you make of Miles Michaelis? Well, he's probably your number one starter in that, say, in, in that situation. I think, he's, I think he's my number one at this point, regardless of if it's Phillies or Padres. And then Jose Quintana... He's probably my number two, just because he's been so reliable in September. But then you you get to a game three. You consider Jack Flaherty. He looked decent against Pittsburgh, but it was the Pirates, and he hasn't really put together a, a big sample size of quality efforts this season or last season. He's been injured. Do you trust him? Do you trust the mentality of a guy that hasn't done it a lot recently to be able to to rear back and dig deep and find it when you when you, when your team needs him most? 
It's also the question the Cardinals are going to have to ask about Adam Wainwright. Because Wainwright does not look good. The velocity down even more today than it had been recently. It already had been down. Four and two-thirds innings, six runs, all earned, two walks, four strikeouts. Gave up a home run to Ben Gamble. It was a three-run shot. I believe it was a three-run shot. Cardinals lose this game seven to five. Six of those runs belong to Wainwright, and he did not get through the fifth. This is not the way... This is not the way you wanted this part of the story to end. But it may end without Wainwright making another start. And the Cardinals were are, are not signaling that that's the case. Ali Marmel said, you know, he was obviously asked the question about how do you balance the notion and the reality that Waino has not been pitching like himself this month. And how do you balance that with the knowledge of the big games and the big appearances and the big situations he's pitched in before for this team has the experience and has done it and and often oftentimes have done it with success how do you balance those things he said you know we we have confidence in Wainwright obviously we'll have to look at it but he indicated that they have confidence in what Wainwright would do on a, on a postseason setting this next weekend I don't know what else Ollie was going to say right like he's not going to throw Wainwright under the bus, even if they don't believe he's up to the task. But his ERA for September has not been pretty. It was 6.38 before today, because I'm looking there on baseball reference. If I check out MLB.com, that's for September, and so obviously that month is over. But since September 1st, September 1st, or uh, I guess technically September 3rd, because this show's last 30 games. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is not going to work. MLB's uh, game log situation is not going to work. Here's what I can tell you. From September 1st, or when he started on September 3rd, his ERA was 3.21 for the season. Now it's 3.71. It's gone up a half a run over the course of a month when you're five months into your season. That's not really what you want. Here were, here were the outings since September 3rd for Wayno. Five innings, four runs. Five innings, four runs. Five innings, one run. He gave up eight hits in that game. You remember that was the uh, record-breaking start where he sort of got away with some traffic on the bases. Then it was six innings, four runs, three innings, four runs. And today, four and two-thirds, six runs. Strikeout totals in those outings. Two, two, three, one, one, four today. So that's at least something. But yeah, there's concern about Adam Wainwright. And would you have more faith in Wainwright or Flaherty at this point? I think it's I I I think it's a <laughs> I'm sort of at a loss for words because I don't think the answer is really either that you feel super comfortable with. But I mean, Flaherty has got the more dynamic stuff. But in terms of situations we've seen him brought into this year, does he have the mentality to not? blow up in that spot. I think, I mean, I don't want to question his mentality because in a, in a playoff setting, he's done it. 2020, he did that in San Diego. He was marvelous for the Cardinals, but that's, that's been two years ago now. And for those two years, he has dealt with a lot of injuries. So I don't really know how, how confident you are with, with Wainwright in that regard. How do you feel about, or sorry, Flaherty in that regard? How do you feel about Wainwright with the numbers that we just read off? From what I've seen, a lot of Cardinals fans, the answer to that is they don't feel great. 
They don't feel a heck of a lot of confidence in him going into a potential playoff start. Even at home where he's been so good, he wasn't good today at home. Jordan Montgomery, six innings, two runs, four hits, five strikeouts, and a walk was his line in the win on Saturday. I would say that was a valuable performance to see. Again, lefty, and if you face the Phillies, maybe a little bit dangerous. But you look at Montgomery's outings prior to prior to what we saw on Saturday this weekend. His last three had been pretty rocky. Five innings, seven hits, six runs, four earned. Five and a third, three runs, nine strikeouts. That was good to see against Cincy. And then at Los Angeles, his last outing prior to Saturday, four innings, six runs. Three home runs allowed in that game, only three strikeouts. And the three strikeouts were his lowest since his Cardinals debut, which was the day that it was really hot out, and he sort of uh, had to, to leave the game earlier than anticipated due to cramping. Jordan Montgomery was marvelous for his first Seven outings as a Cardinal. Cardinals won each and every one of them, all seven of those starts. Uh, Then the Cardinals lost three in a row of his outings before getting back to the good on Saturday against Pittsburgh. I still feel like Montgomery is probably a better option than Wainwright or Flaherty at this point. And it's not to say you won't need all five of those guys when you get into the NLDS. In in some form or fashion, I I think you probably will. But they're behind... Quintana, they're behind Michaelis and the consistency we've seen from those guys uh, of late. It's going to be very difficult, though. Like, you don't want to pitch, you don't want to decide your rotation with sentiment, but how do you leave Adam Wainwright out of the postseason roster of the rotation? It's a tough, it's a tough one. So, it's something that's going to be wrestled with over the course of the next week. We will continue to discuss it and break it down as we go, but I remember a few days ago I said, if Wainwright can give you the start on Sunday that shows you he's out of the woods on this dead arm situation, you feel good, there's no question I go to him in the in the wildcard series. Well, that didn't happen. He had a, a pretty subpar Pittsburgh lineup, beat him up for six runs, couldn't get out of the fifth. So that's where you are right now. Hate to uh, kind of put a damper on what was a, a great event, a great day at Bush, even though the, the Cardinals lost the game. Obviously, the game outcome didn't matter because they've clinched. But that's the reality of where the Cardinals are right now. We'll see what the decisions end up being and uh, if there's anything that can be gleaned from this uh, three-game series in Pittsburgh over the next three days that's going to help potentially the Cardinals to formulate that postseason roster. We'll talk rotation stuff. We'll talk bullpen stuff. We'll talk roster stuff in general over the coming week at B-Shape Daily. We'll speculate about it. We'll eventually get the answers. We'll tell you what we think about it. We'll play the lineup game. We'll do all that because right now, That's the main thing the Cardinals are looking forward to. It's the playoffs. It's coming on Friday at Bush Stadium. Make sure you're ready for it by being subscribed to Be Safe Daily, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys so much for being with me. I think I'm going to wrap things up here for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys, as always, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.